Here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Many, 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 Listening to the Voices of Wrestling podcast with your hosts, Joe Lanza. X out, go listen to some boring podcast where they're, where they're afraid of their own shadow. Okay? Don't listen to Joe Lanza because Joe Lanza's not changing. And Rich Crage. Give me a name. Like Who delivers this guy in a big spot? Joe, don't yell at me. Like in, the, in the big spot. Who delivers better than this guy? Stop yelling at me. I agree. Welcome once again to the Voice Wrestling Flagship Podcast. I'm Rich Crates alongside, as always, very good family man, Mr. Joe Lanza. Joe, what's happening? It's Thanksgiving week. It's an early show for us. Recording on a Tuesday. I don't think I've ever talked to you this early in the week. So how, how are you? How, how, does, how is early week, Joe Lanza, compared to... Uh, I usually talk to you on a Wednesday at the earliest. Thursday is my usual time. How's, uh, how's a Tuesday, Joe Lanza, go? What, what, what's a normal Tuesday in Joe Lanza world? What the hell What the hell you think is changing between Tuesday and Wednesday? <laughs> Nothing. I know. I'm just... <laughs> You still have the hope of the week ahead of you, and you know by Thursday you're already kind of. Sli- but you're you're just joking. You probably just do the same. You're probably just watching like some obscure college basketball, some Maui Invitational deal right now, and sipping some diet soda. It's probably what you're doing. Well, the right? Maui Invitational is on. Also, there's the can. There's the. Uh, <laughs> d- don't forget the Cancun Challenge, which is also. Oh, how could I? Yeah, it, is that where's the one that takes place like in the bottom of a basement of a, a dance hall? What's that's that the... one? Like, isn't it in the Bahamas? I want. I'm, tell me when that one's on. That's the Battle of Atlantis, and uh, it does take place in a uh, a dance club with a very low ceiling, which I'm just waiting for a half-court heave to hit the ceiling one of these years. Um, but yeah, you are referring to the Battle of Atlantis. See, the Got Maui it. Invitational Sorry. is that, – that one's been going on since like 1984. And, right. You know, and that's a big time – preseason tournament they're always loaded duke is in it this year with gonzaga and arizona and all that but then all of these other exotic locales are trying to like you know uh, ride the coattails of the maui invitational so there's tournaments in cancun and puerto rico and and even places in the united states like there's the charleston classic in charleston south carolina and and they try to entice these teams to come by saying hey look you can spend thanksgiving week in these uh, these tropical vacation destinations, so yeah, one of them is the uh, Battle for Atlantis, and uh, yeah, that takes place I think in the Bahamas, and it's a it's in a dance club, and there's like a this blue hue over the court at <laughs> it's all times. Incredible. I love it. Yeah, I love it. So that that's going on this week or this weekend? Uh, I don't know when the bat. It's not going on yet. It might be later this weekend. Right now, okay. yeah, they're just, I'm all in for it. There's a, but uh, yeah, the, the, now there's one in Jamaica. Georgetown just played in one in Jamaica this week. Uh, yeah, so they're all over the place. My favorite, though, uh, uh, my favorite, though, is the Great Alaska Shootout. Because Ooh. <laughs> you, 
who who the hell chose that of all now that there's all these other exotic beautiful places to go who who decided to go to alaska who are these teams that are going to alaska on like thanksgiving week that sounds like a terrible terrible idea exactly they always get the worst field because now that there's 19 of these things all over the place in these tropical destinations who the fuck is going to anchorage alaska in the middle of November to play uh, to play a college basketball tournament. Uh, it's always like the dregs of the college basketball world that they convince to come to Alaska for the Great Alaska Shootout. But the one advantage to the Great Alaska Shootout, of course, is because of the time zone deal. You know, when that tournament's going on, you got games until like 3 o'clock in the morning. It's fantastic for, for a guy like me who's just going to sit there and watch college basketball all night. Joe, Joe, Joe. Yes. I don't want to ruin your week. Has it been canceled? On August... On August 26, 2017, it was announced that the 2017 shootout would be the last. Yeah. The university stopped funding it as other newer tournaments were drawing away top teams to warmer locations. Yes, because it's insane to go to Alaska in late November to play basketball. So, yeah, at that point, just stay home. If it's like, yeah, because I'm looking at the, the list of teams here. Like, you start out in the 70s, you got North Carolina State, Kentucky, North Carolina, Louisville, you know, North Carolina. And then you got Harvard, Colorado State, Middle Tennessee, Iona. And Central Michigan. So, yeah, once you get to Iona, it's probably time to just kind of pack things in and, and call it a day. Yeah, like, I mean, wow. when it was just the Maui Invitational and the Great Alaska Shootout, they can get some decent teams. But now when your options are Jamaica, the Bahamas, uh, Charleston, South Carolina. Um, you <laughs> Literally know, anywhere but Alaska. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, Cancun. I mean, you know, no, no one's going to, uh, to Anchorage, Alaska. So uh, we bid farewell to the Great Alaska Shootout, which I didn't even know was discontinued. You know what I'm annoyed about is the Maui Invitational, you know, uh, Chaminade hosts that. That's a Division II school who, of course, yes. they put themselves on the map when they beat Ralph Sampson in Virginia in 1982 and arguably the biggest upset in the history of college basketball, which actually then two years later, that spurned the creation of the Maui Invitational uh, off the backs of that. So then they decided to host a tournament every year. Um, Chaminade, and they, and they picked up, you know, they, have a, they usually get, you know, destroyed in the first round. They, they usually finish in eighth place. But every couple of years, they'll, they'll pick up an upset. Just a couple of years ago, they beat Texas. And I think last year, they beat Cal. Okay. But Chaminade now are only participating in the tournament in odd-numbered years, in even-numbered years. Like this year, Chaminade isn't even in the Maui Invitational anymore, which annoys the hell out of me. Because, you know, they belong in the – it's their fucking tournament. But – Right, even if they get run, if even if they get run out of the gym, who cares? It's their fucking right. tournament. They're allowed to And it's always fun watching them because of the possibility of that, you know, once every five-year upset that they pull. But uh, apparently the Chaminade games were getting low ratings on ESPN and, and, and this and that. <laughs> yeah. So now they're only getting games. They're only participating in tournament every other year, which is fucking total nonsense. Um, and as a trade-off, what they're doing is they're sending in those even in those odd-numbered years that are not in a tournament, even-numbered years, they're getting three games on the mainland against teams that are in the tournament. So in other words, they'll come here this year and they'll play Arizona and they'll play a couple other teams that are in the tournament and they get a chance to play on the mainland. But, man, I kind of – I don't like that. Chaminade should be in the tournament. I want to see Chaminade hang around for a half, you know, against Arizona before inevitably getting blown out just for the possibility of maybe seeing the upset. That's part of the appeal to me. But uh, it's just me and, like, nine other people listening to this that maybe care. So – uh, what are you going to do? So there you go. So that is our uh, brief episode of uh, NCAA Intelligentsia. So we'll see you next time. <laughs> hey, don't Patreon, tempt but, me. Uh, I'll do the NCAA stuff. Intelligentsia. <laughs> hey.
Patreon.com slash voice of wrestling. Let the let the man know and he'll uh, he'll he'll do it. He uh he's watching the games anyway. So watching them right now as we speak. Voice of wrestling. Yeah. So uh so we are obviously doing this show a little bit early because of Thanksgiving holiday. Uh you and I both have things to do later in the week. Uh no other chance to record. We usually record on a Thursday. Obviously, that is a uh, tough conversation to have at the dinner table is hey, I'll be right back. I gotta go talk to Joe Lanza for three hours about wrestling. Um Wednesday we're all we got people coming over, things to prepare for. I'm hosting. I know you have people coming over to your place. So we have to do an early show this week. And unfortunately, because of that, there's not a whole lot in wrestling to talk about. But hey, we got some good stuff. We got a busy weekend in WWE, so we'll talk about uh takeover and survivor series. Uh, there's also some other news around the wrestling world as well that we wanted to touch on uh, briefly too. Uh there's two Two kind of uh, interesting incidents that happened over the last week. Uh, this weekend at uh, Joey Janela's LA Confidential, you had the main event between, yes, you're you're hearing this correctly, David Arquette and Nick Gage, of course. <laughs> that that I cannot, like in 15 years, can you imagine like going at the cage match and being like, oh my God, David Arquette and Nick, like we're going to forget about it. And then the t- when you rediscover that that match happened, it's going to be the most incredible thing uh, you've ever done. But uh, yeah, so you have David Arquette and Nick Gage. Of course, uh, some controversy about that match. It ended on a kind of a weird note. I, I, I know you and I, I've, I haven't seen the full match. I've seen about half of it and I saw the last part of it because I wanted to at least see the finish that got all the talk. I heard really good stuff about the, the the the, the, the entire match. I only watch, like I said, I only watched about half of it or so. I'm hoping to watch the entire show uh, in the next few days. But uh, so Nick Gage hits David Arquette with a light tube. This was a death match, of course. Um, and something seems to happen. David Arquette seems to kind of freak out a little bit. Something's happening. We don't know exactly. And we, we've gotten a little bit more details, you know, today. So we'll, we'll talk about it as much as we've, we know right now. Uh, so he kind of flips over Nick Gage, and it looks like something kind of happens. It kind of stall. Arquette looks to be kind of like getting him in a position to kind of say, hey, look, dude, I, 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 you got my neck. Or there's something going on. And something being said. David Arquette then rolls out of the ring and essentially starts acting like he's going to just leave and, and get the fuck out of there. He eventually gets back into the ring. Uh, Nick Gage tries to hit him with another light tube david arquette freaks out and tosses a chair into his stomach uh and then nick gage just does a judo throw and then pins david arquette and then david arquette immediately after the pin gets up holding his neck walks out of the ring and he's gone and it uh was definitely a unique thing going on we, we now know that david arquette is presumably fine he i think he tweeted out after the show that you know hey i am i'm fine but death matches aren't really my thing uh apparently there's something wrong with his neck or that he's gone to the hospital i don't know if it's just a scar or like a big deep cut i don't know what it is exactly but it appears that it was just kind of a situation and we didn't know this initially when it happened as well but it appears to just be a situation where david arquette said yeah i'm down yeah i'm down let's do it let's do it whatever uh, and then maybe it got a little too real or maybe he got cut a little bit more than he thought and then just kind of said ah fuck i'm out of here this is stupid why am i doing this to myself which is a very good question to ask when you're david arquette in you know doing a death match in 2018 or whatever but it, it appears that that's kind of where the story has gone joe have you seen the clip and, and and what do you make of everything that's kind of happened uh around it as well i saw all the pertinent parts um, yeah, it looked like he panicked because his neck got cut. That's when he flipped out and panicked. And it did look like he kind of just wanted the match to end. Then he rolls out of the ring. Then he comes back. Then there's the thing with the chair. And then they go to the quick finish. Um, it just looked like he panicked, which is understandable. Um, look, I, I don't know. I saw Hurricane Helms uh, spoke out and he said it was reckless to book him in a match like this. Because, you know, he look, he wrestles a lot. This was like his fifth or sixth match this year. I actually I saw Arquette wrestle RJ City on Championship Wrestling from Hollywood about I guess I don't know when they, when the match took place, but it probably aired about a month, month and a half ago. And it wasn't that bad. Like it was shockingly 
it was shockingly, I don't want to say shockingly good, but it was much better than I thought it was going to be. No, he he's good. He he's good in this match. If you watch the entire thing, like he's solid. Like he, it, it's it's remarkable how solid he is. I know he did a Warrior Wrestling show. I teamed with RJ City against uh, Frank the Clown and James Ellsworth, which I will never ever watch because you would have to pay me to watch that. But I heard people say that of those four guys, like Arquette was probably I mean, maybe neck and neck with RJ City, but certainly light years ahead of like a Frank the Clown or even a, a you know a, a James Ellsworth or whatever. So yeah, he's solid. Like and he's done. He did an NEW show. He's done. I think he did that one for Impact as well. What was what was it the uh, not maybe not Impact? It was the Border City Wrestling Impact thing or whatever. Yeah, okay, so it was it was him versus uh, Idris uh, Abraham and Joel Coleman uh, for BCW Impact 1. So, yeah, he's he's wrestled, what, you know, four to five times in the RJ City-David Arquette match that you mentioned as well. So four times this year prior to this 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 match, this match with, uh, with with Nick Gage. So it's not like he's completely, you know, coming from nowhere, and, and, and he has been training and has been kind of getting ready for this situation as well. So. Yeah, and he's in decent shape and everything, and he takes it seriously. He's a fan. And he enjoys it. I think he, he called it his passion. Um, and, and, you know, he did put out a statement basically saying, look, don't blame Game Changer Wrestling. Uh, don't blame – he never named Nick Gage uh, specifically, but he said don't blame the company and don't blame the people involved. Um, it's Yeah, he, he's got two tweets here, which I think are, are important to give context here because he did update it the next day then. So here's the first the statement that you're talking about. It just says, as some of you might have seen last week, I was injured in a wrestling death match. I wanted to make sure to address the photos and videos that have surfaced from the event as this is not the type of wrestling you watch on TV. So he had to address this because this was getting like mainstream publicity. Like TMZ was covering and it. And bad like, mainstream had to say, publicity. Like, like... A shoot is like, <laughs> you know, a shoot is when this happens in wrestling. Right. Like it was, it was not good. Yeah, publicity-wise, not good. I'm sure whoever works for David Arquette, press people or whatever, were like, what the fuck, dude? You got to say something because, right. yeah, th- this is getting around and it does not look the, good. The so. phrase deathmatch doesn't play well with people who aren't in the wrestling bubble and don't understand what that means. Especially exactly. when right, right. the pictures are going around that are pretty gruesome to a non-wrestling fan of him bleeding from the neck and his face covered in blood. And then they say he's involved in a deathmatch. And then the mainstream media doesn't... I don't blame the non-wrestling media for calling it things like underground fighting or amateur wrestling. Cause they don't know. Like I see people getting on these websites for calling it these things and, no, I mean, Jesus. Yeah. How are they supposed to <laughs> if know? If you're a guy that, like, we're in this wrestling world. Yeah, if you just, if you did not watch wrestling, if you did not watch wrestling, like, if you show it to your mom and you showed a picture of David Arquette holding his neck from, you know, gushing blood and his face is filled with blood and I said he was in a death match, like, you're going to say, oh, this was a wrestling match that had, like, chairs and, and, and like, no, like, you're, of course you're going to go, your mind's going to go wild places. Yeah, no, these, these they don't know what death match wrestling is. I mean, they know WWE. Like, WWE has been, become synonymous with wrestling to the mainstream media by design of, of themselves or whatever but that's how it is like that that and and you would never see this type of stuff in WWE so yeah of course they're gonna not construe it the right way or not have it all the facts there because it's yeah the the death matches don't look normal which leads us which leads us to this to this PR statement because they want to you know clip but anyway go ahead and finish reading it yeah, it says, I knew it was violent and potentially bloody, but I truly did not know the extent of what I was participating in. However, I take responsibility for putting myself in that situation. For the last six months, I've been training and competing in indie matches around the country as wrestling is a passion of mine. I want to state again that this is not traditional wrestling, and I have the utmost respect for that sport. I also want to apologize to the professional wrestling world for any negative attention this might have brought forth over the weekend. And I have zero plans to be involved in a match like this again. I want to thank all my fans, friends, and family for the love and support over the last few days. I am looking forward to getting back into the ring under much different circumstances in the near future. However, my priority and full-time dedication will always be to acting and producing, and I look forward to sharing some of my exciting new projects in 2019. With love, David Arquette. And then the next day he tweeted out as well, 
because you said he had name names here. He does kind of do a follow-up here in names names. He says, I want everybody to know that I have nothing but respect uh, for, for at Game Changer Wrestling, at Nick Gage, and at uh, Janela Baby. And the main reason I got cut is because I panicked. I was clearly in over my head. They're pros, so please don't give them shit respect. So okay. kind of squashes it right there. And, and we know now he put himself in the situation, and he's taking full blame for it. So. I think those are two excellent statements. It's very clear what comes through to me in those two statements. And I hadn't seen the second one. So that's why I said he didn't mention anyone by name. So I apologize. Um, it's very clear hearing those two statements that he has a lot of respect for pro wrestling and was very disappointed in that mainstream coverage that came out that was surrounding all this because it was making wrestling look bad. You can tell that he was hurt by that and that yeah. he was a little mm-hmm. embarrassed that he was, uh, you know, that he inadvertently had taken wrestling uh, down this this road where it was getting all these negative headlines and, and, and people speaking on really a topic they don't understand. And you can tell he feels bad about it. Um, you know, and it, 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 that just speaks to our point too. When he says he doesn't, un- he didn't really fully grasp what it, what a death match meant. This is someone who's a fan who's been wrestling for 18 years and he didn't even fully grasp what he was getting into. So you can only imagine what someone who knows nothing about pro wrestling is going to think of the phrase deathmatch after seeing those pictures. So, you know, nice job out of Arquette. You know, he, he admitted that he panicked. Um, look, I don't want to get into whether, you know, should Gage have read, the, read it better while it was happening? You know, maybe. I, I don't know. Um, I don't really want to get into all that. But it doesn't seem like you know, Arquette's annoyed or upset, and if he's okay with what went down, and he chalks it up to just a learning experience, and he won't do any more death matches, then I think everyone else just needs to be okay with it, too. That's really what it comes down to for me. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. I, I, it takes a lot of balls, too, to be a, a guy of David Arquette's stature. With You know, we can laugh or do whatever, but, like, you know, I mentioned David Arquette. My wife knows it. You know, my, my, my mom knows it. Like, everybody – he's like a household name to, like, normal people. For him to ju- to take this and, and kind of swallow it and say, hey, it's my issue and my problem and I'm sorry or whatever, you know, that takes some balls because it would be just as easy for him to just say, yeah, they put me in bad spots and I'm never – you know, like, it, it was just as easy for, for him to kind of come out with a shining light and say that I was put in a bad situation and throw a Nick Gage or throw Game Changer or throw Janelle or whoever under the bus because there's no real obligation by his end to do that. I mean, he can just waltz out of the pro wrestling world and go back into acting and producing and doing all the same other stuff he did while still kind of holding his head high. But I think that was pretty cool that he kind of took the took the blame and, and, and kind of said, hey, guys, don't, you know, wrestling is is, is fine. It was my fault. And, and, and don't give these guys shit and all that sort of stuff. That's really that's pretty awesome of him. I mean, that that because it. It would be so easy for one of his publicists to say, David, just say you were put in a bad situation or like that this guy took liberties and then just move on with the rest of your life or whatever. Because that's easy. I think that's how most people would have handled it. But but you know that it's a passion for his. And like you said, you know, he realized that wrestling was getting a bad name because of him. And th- and that kind of got him bothered and, and, and sort of annoyed, which I think is, is is pretty admirable that he was able to do that. Yeah. So um, and, and one thing also worth mentioning is he was a late replacement. It was supposed to be Joey Ryan in this match. So right. this was the big make good for Joey Ryan with the torn pec. You know, so he was a last minute, last minute uh, fill in here. And maybe I believe him when he says, it, you know, it's hard to believe that someone who's a wrestling fan who's been actively wrestling for 18 years wouldn't know what a death match is. But he comes off sincere to me in that um, when he when he 
conveys that he didn't entirely know what he was getting into, I believe him. I, there's just something believable about those statements. I don't think he's sure. I, I could get the idea that when someone says, "Hey, deathmatch," and he's kind of like, you know, he might have one eye on the on the on the the world of deathmatch or whatever. And then someone describes, "Yeah, you know, it's like tables or kind of hardcore wrestling." He probably thinks, "Okay, cool. We're gonna go through some tables. We're gonna do some stuff like that." Like, I get totally when you when if if I was kind of a casual fan or I just kind of had one eye on on that entire scene that I would think, you know, yeah, it's a hardcore type match. You know, we use weapons and stuff. Is oh, okay, yeah, yeah, cool. Chairs and tables and that sort of stuff. Because when they did that sort of stuff, you could tell he. Was was fine he was right in his element and the, and the first half of the match is that you know it is very much like them going through doors and them hitting each other with chairs and them doing stuff like that so you could tell he was kind of in his element then it's when the light tube started coming out and it started to get a little bit more gruesome and a little more bloody is when you kind of notice that things are starting to kind of go awry and that maybe yeah and and i get it like in the moment you're or even when you're talking about it discussing it backstage yeah yeah that sounds great but then when it, the, the glass hits you and you starts cutting you up and and that sort of shit happens and, and you're kind of in the moment and the adrenaline's going or whatnot i totally get how you would if you're not a seasoned professional that's done it a bunch of times kind of get this weird sort of freak out or or not quite sure what you're going to do especially if you're someone like David Arquette I mean this isn't just your guy that's that's going to get 20 bucks and and, and move to the next town or whatever this is you know a big time you know movie producer and, and and relatively big actor as well so I mean yeah it's 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 a big situation that happened so I thought it was cool though that he came out and, and did those statements because I initially when it was over and I watched it I went oh boy this could be bad like if, if Arquette went out there and said you know I I didn't agree to this and I didn't do this like it looks real bad on Gage it looks real bad on Janelle it looks real bad on uh, Game Changer and you know Game Changer going to a new facility in, in uh, LA because you know their original place didn't want that like there was a lot of stuff that could have really went wrong had this situation not been how it turned out so I'm glad to hear that it is uh, for the most part kind of settled and, and, and we know all the details and now we'll kind of uh, move on but uh, yeah it looks like a looks like a pretty fun show all, all, all told though too so I'm going to definitely check it out if I can at some point but uh I do uh, watch a little bit of the last half of that match, but I want to try to. I got it on fight, so I want to hopefully watch it uh, uh, sometime pretty should, soon. But should Gage be more careful with someone who's not a, um, a super? Yeah, a super I, w- exp- I Yeah, I, I would. I would, but I, like you said, I don't know the conversations that happened before the match. Like that, that's where I would love to know a little bit more. I mean, Arquette seems to indicate that he was the one that got in over his head, but I, I would hope that they said, "Hey, look, buddy, here's what we do, and here's you know." And Arquette would, or, or, or Gage would even say, "Hey, what are your limits? Like, I won't go past that. Like, I will do anything that you want, or whatever. Or I'll do anything I, I can. But if you don't want me to slice your forehead, if you don't want me to hit you with this or do this or whatever, then yeah, we won't do that or whatever." So, I, w- without knowing those conversations, it's hard to say that that because. I, I can't say that Gage was was, was being difficult or because Arquette might have said fucking do it to me let's go let's go let's go and then Gage does it and then he goes oh shit you know and then he gets sliced in the neck and then he kind of everything changes a little bit uh, I thought Gage I think handled it pretty well after that as well I mean he tried to there was one point where Arquette laid down and, and, and Gage tried to pin him and or, or, or uh, Arquette tried to pin, pin Gage and then Gage kicked out of two because Gage was not going to lose the game changer title via just like Arquette wanting to be out of the match or whatever so it got a little awkward but I think the the judo throw pin and then just kind of let the guy go it, it more th- you know if 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 Another wrestler may have gotten a little bit more upset at Arquette and really shot on him or really shoved him or really did something. But I think Gage was smart enough to realize, hey, look, you know, this guy's he's kind of freaked out a little bit. Let's just get out of here and, and move on without anything getting a lot worse than, than it is right now. Yeah, it was a title match. You know, not that that's the most important thing, but um, it, it, the thing about it is, I think, like you said, we don't know what the, what the, what discussion took place. If 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 he said, hey, man, you know, if Arquette could be like, hey man, whatever we want, you just go full throttle on me. Don't treat me like an amateur. Let's just go for it. If that was the conversation, then Gage just shrugged his shoulders and went out there and had his normal level of match, then 
then, then, you know, and there's no indication that wasn't the case. I mean, Arquette put the blame squarely on his shoulders for panicking. And, and the only other, uh, you know, now, now if I would have gotten the sense that Arquette was uncomfortable in trying to escape and Gage continued beating him with weapons or, or right. then you can hold, you know, the professional accountable. But I don't see any evidence here that there's any reason to think that Gage um, did anything against Arquette's will, and Arquette's statements don't suggest that either. So I, I don't, I don't think anything should be held against Gage. Now, as far as people like Shane Helm saying that he should have never been booked in a match like that to begin with, that might be more of a valid, valid argument. But um, you know, in a, his his tweet was basically, "Hey, look, even if Arquette agreed to this match." You should know better as a booker and as a pro than to put someone in that situation, even if they agree to it. And I think that's a valid argument. I don't think oh, I don't think Helms is out of line uh, for feeling that way. I think you could you could uh, you could definitely make that argument in this case, and you could see what the end result was. So um, you know, but uh, but you know, one thing though is. It got a ton of attention, positive attention too. A lot of people loved the match. Most people who saw it loved it. I don't think I saw one negative review of the match itself. So it was a wild spectacle. Um, the type of thing you would expect to see on a Game Changer slash, you know, Janela Produce show. So from that perspective, I think now that the dust has settled, it's nothing but a positive for Game Changer. And the like the Janela show brand. Um, and it could have been an enormous negative. So um, I think that's the key takeaway moving forward is that um, I don't think now it's a negative at all. It kind of died down once Arquette made his statements. And Yeah, it looks like it's it's in the past, which is good for, for everybody. Because, yeah, like you said, it could have been real disastrous. Yeah. Had, had it really turned ugly and Arquette sued. You know what I mean? like this, And especially with the, with the poll he had and stuff, it could have gotten real, real bad for, for, for Game Changer, for Gage, and for that entire scene as well. And, and that would stink because they're, they're kind of on the rise, all those guys. Uh, so it would kind of stink for that to happen. So I'm glad to hear that everything went well. And, and you know, we'll see Arquette, at, I think, again at some point. Just probably not in death matches, which is probably a good thing uh, for sure. One uh, thing that we do have to talk about as well, this uh, not going as well. Uh, right now, we're still kind of only a day or so out from it, but um, this clip made the rounds. Lucha Blog, our good friend, the Cubs fan, I tweeted this out uh, at Lucha Blog. Uh, on a Lucha Memes Lucha Libre boom show, there was Joe. I, the only way to describe it is a man threw a cinder block at a guy's head and hurt him real, real bad. W- what do you know about this situation? What can you kind of tell us about it? Okay, so the wrestler is Angel uh, Demonio, and he apparently angry about. Some chair, some hard chair shots, which there, there's a gift floating around of the brick that he threw into the back ahead of Cuervo. But there's an extended clip floating around of the chair shots that apparently angered this guy. So someone brings out a cinder block, and of course, <laughs> Cuervo is outside the ring. This is following the chair shots, and he's looking underneath the ring either for a table or a weapon or something. And Demonio picks up the cinder block, and Cuervo is not paying attention at all. He's, like I said, looking under the ring. He stands up, and Demonio forcefully throws the cinder block 
and I mean hard, directly into the back of the man's head. Uh, the cinder block breaks in half. That's how hard he threw it. Um, and the guy is just knocked out. Just he's, he's out like a light. Doctors rush out. Rustlers rush over. Referees. Uh, they wake him up probably about 30 seconds later. And the story, at least as of this recording, is Angel Demonio, who I've never heard of, um, it was angry about the chair shots. This, now, now listen. We've seen wrestlers shoot on each other. Um, we've seen incidents in pro wrestling. Uh, you know, what do you want to talk You want to talk about great Sasuke and dirt bike kid. You want to talk about Antonio Inoki and the great Antonio. You want to talk about, you know, there's a ton of incidents. Uh, you know, th- those are two out of many where one wrestler shot on the shot on another. And, you know, to me, this is a little different. This is quite literally assault with a deadly weapon. This guy took a cinder block, threw it as hard as he could at the back of this dude's head because he was mad about something that happened earlier in the match. And he's very lucky this guy didn't die. I mean, you know, you know, I went to the hospital and now they're doing like a, a, a fundraiser, I believe, for his medical bills and those sorts of things. And this is a very serious situation. But I think it, you really got to look at these things on a case-by-case basis. And to me, this dude should be in jail. I mean, no, this is assault. Yeah, this is assault with a deadly weapon. I mean, this is this is really really bad. If you're if you're squeamish as well, don't. I mean, the gif is bad. I mean, this dude gets knocked like, and he's got that weird like his body is just stuck. You know what I mean? He's got that weird unconsciousness thing where it's just yeah. It, it, it's, it's not a blood. It's see, not like, a, a gif, bloody you, gif. You, you know what it's like? It's like a UFC, an ugly UFC knockout where the guy's limbs are just right, in, right, yeah, right. It's it's gross and it's. And the, and the idea when you think that, like, oh, he tossed a cinder block, this guy, like, launches this thing hard. Yes. Like, this is not just a, a, a subtle drop. This isn't just sort of a throw from halfway across the ring. It is guy put, picks his head up, like you said, and guy tosses a cinder block onto the back of the head. It, it's disgusting. It's really, really disgusting. Yeah. And it's like I said, there's been situations where guys have, have, have shot on each other or one guy shoots on the other because he's mad. And, um, you know... I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not hand waving those necessarily. I, I just think it's a case by case thing. And when I watch this, I feel like that guy should be in jail, and I feel like no one should ever book him again. This is like one of the grossest things I've seen in terms of a wrestler attacking another wrestler in a legit manner. There's because here's the thing: there's no way he thought what he was going to do wasn't going to result in what it resulted in. Exactly right. It's it's you know sometimes shooting on guys is is yeah it sucks and it, it leads to some pretty bad things. But it's usually just like hey I'm gonna give this guy a punch just to let him know hey don't fuck with me or whatever. I'm gonna give him a a little bit more of a swift kick or whatever. Or I'm gonna you know rear back on the armbar a little bit more than I would normally would or whatever. It, stuff like that. This is a guy like you said the, the intention of this is I'm gonna knock this fucking guy out yeah. with the cinder block and that's exactly what he, he did. lost I mean, his there's temper. No way to say, he lost I'm gonna hit him with I'm gonna hit him with a cinder block and then you know he'll he'll shrug it off and we'll go back and and he'll know right. that he shouldn't have hit me with those. I exactly. mean that, there's the only idea idea of that is knock this fucking guy out which is disgusting he lost his temper and wanted to hurt this guy and it's one thing to you know deliver a receipt and kick somebody hard in the chest or you get potatoed and you potato him back you know later on and punch him in the face or whatever that's you know look to me that's akin to you know um a hockey fight or a fight breaking out in a basketball game or you know, uh, someone gets hit by a pitch in baseball and they charge the mound. 
you know, I I feel like that's just, um, you know, guys losing control for a second and 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 fighting and and I look, I don't think people should go to jail in those instances. I mean, you know, there's some people who have those takes. You know, we see it in hockey sometimes. Someone will swing a stick at another player, and people will say that's assault. They should get locked up. I don't necessarily agree with that. You know, unless it it makes contact and and, and hurts somebody. I, I really think it's a case by case thing. I'm not. You know, you know what I mean? This, to me, was maybe the worst example of something like that I've ever seen, where someone lost their temper yeah. and decided, I'm going to hurt somebody. And it's like, Quavo doesn't even have an, a, an opportunity to defend himself because he's not paying any attention. So on top of everything else, it was cowardly. You know, he didn't even, he has no idea this cinder block is coming towards his head. No clue. He's looking under the ring, he stands up, and this dude charges at him with the cinder block, throws it downward, which is even worse, because he's throwing it from inside the ring downward with all this velocity. And the guy has no clue it's coming. It's not like they... It's not even as if they set up a cinder block spot and the one dude figured, I'm going to really lay it in here. Because then at least you know it's coming. He doesn't even know this cinder block is coming at this point. It's 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 I I it's it's mind blowing how violent this is and how disturbing it is. So I I don't know I don't know anything about this guy. He seems like you know a shindy type guy. I mean you know he's he's out there wrestling in cut off jeans and and a sleeveless fucking t shirt and for some you know indie promotion and you know I I know nothing about him other than this clip that I've seen. But it it, it I don't know if he's any kind of major star for this group or. I don't know. To me, he should never wrestle again, and he should be in jail, and this Cuervo dude should press charges, and this guy should get locked up. It's it's disturbing. Yeah, it's it's bad. Yeah, yeah. I watched it the other day, because people describe it, and you're kind of like, oh, yeah, whatever. It is. It, I think it is worse when you actually watch it versus when we describe it. Like, it... it it's it's sickening just to see the thud of the guy and just see him fall and and yeah it's 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 bad it's really really bad and the, the part like you said the part that he he didn't know it was coming to I think like he just l- looks up from under the ring and there's a fucking center block being thrown at the top of his, I mean that that's that, just that's the other thing with stuff, other so. shoot incidents we've seen the other guy at least sees it coming and can defend himself like okay like when Great Sasuke went after the dirt bike kid we've all seen that. Dirt Bike Kid is, is if he, he could defend himself in that I'm not, like, saying mm-hmm. he shouldn't have gotten his ass kicked. Or, I, I, I don't remember enough details about it. I don't even... But the point here is Dirt Bike Kid could have defended himself or fought back. This guy didn't have an opportunity to defend himself or fight back. He just had a brick thrown into the back of his dome. I mean, that's... That, that's to me, is what makes it worse. And I also think the damage that ultimately is caused should matter. You know, to go back to my hockey fight comparison or, or, or someone assaulting someone with a hockey stick, if you swing and miss, to me, all right, no harm, no foul. No one got hurt. Suspend the guy and move on. Suspend them, find them, and move on. Now, if you swing your hockey stick at someone intentionally and you, and you knock them out and, and you injure the guy, to me, the, the punishment should then be, I think the outcome should determine the punishment as well. I think what happens sure. matters. So... This guy's in the hospital. And it could have been a whole lot worse. So I don't know who this Angel Demonio dude is, but he should never wrestle again. Yeah, he should be done. Yeah, he should be. I wouldn't be. I, yeah, 
I, I, if I was a company, I wouldn't feel right booking him. But we'll see. So there's that story. So those are two fun stories to start out our Thanksgiving week with. But uh, stuff we had to get to, uh, things that we had definitely had to talk about. Uh, we're now going to get into uh, TakeOver and Survivor Series WWE week. As I said, this will be kind of an abbreviated voice wrestling. So don't get uh, don't shake your fist at us if this isn't the longer, normal three-hour stuff. Because we were both busy, busy men this week with a lot of stuff to do and a lot of people coming over and all that sort of stuff. So let's get to that. But before... We talk about WWE. I do want to let you know that this episode of the Voice Wrestling Flagship Podcast is sponsored by our friends at Robinhood. So you know Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos, all commission-free. Robinhood is a non-intimidating way for stock market newcomers to invest for the first time with true confidence. They have simple, intuitive, and clear design, as well as data present in an easy-to-digest way. Joe, you and I both had a chance uh, to play around with Robinhood, uh, and I have to say it was even easier than I imagined. I know you talked a few weeks ago about you kind of playing around with it and, and your initial thoughts of it. What, what have you been? Uh, what have you noticed about Robinhood so far over the last few weeks? Yeah, the ease of use. You know, It's a very easy app to use. It's very easy to understand. It makes something that can typically be intimidating to people, like investing, uh, much easier to do and uh, with a very simple-to-use interface, and they even get you started uh, with some uh, with some free stocks. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But, yeah, everything's like, you know, if you're kind of confused or, or you don't quite understand the stock market, everything is in very easy. To, I mean, I'm an idiot. I know nothing about the stock market. Still, I have been able to go on Robinhood and do some trades and do some stuff and kind of follow it a little bit more. So, you know, you get easy-to-use graphs. You know what stocks are doing well. You know what stocks are. There's, there's just – it's very, very easy, very intuitive. And, and like you said, Joe, a few weeks ago, Robinhood believes that the financial system should work for the rest of us, not just for the wealthy because we like the redistribution of wealth here on Voices of Wrestling, of course. Uh, when I enter the app there was easy to understand charts and market data and within four taps i was already making trades as i said completely commission free too i think that's a huge part of it as well the completely commission free other brokerages are going to charge you up to ten dollars for every trade ten dollars for every trade though that's absolutely nuts with Robinhood, they are free now the best part as you mentioned a little bit earlier Robinhood is giving voice wrestling flagship listeners a free stock like apple ford or sprint to help build your portfolio all you have to do is go to voices.robinhood.com that's voices.robinhood.com and you will get a free stock like apple ford or sprint to start your portfolio voices.robinhood.com once again voices.robinhood.com to get started all right joe let's talk about this wwe weekend we had TakeOver War Games. We had Survivor Series, the battle for brand supremacy. We'll start with uh, TakeOver, of course, because that uh, took place first. Um, we did get, surprisingly, we did get a, uh, I am in the wrong War Games. I was like, what, Killian Dane versus? <laughs> I went to the wrong War Games Wikipedia. All right, there it is. We did get our Matt Riddle, Cassius Ono match. Uh, Matt Riddle made his uh, NXT TakeOver debut, and he defeated Cassius Ono in uh, seven seconds. So I guess they also recorded one for the TV. I don't, yeah, what did you think of this seven-second segment, which I'm fine with. By the way, more seven-second matches I'm, I'm A-OK with. But uh, what would you think of Matt Riddle's uh, takeover debut? No, this was perfect. No problem with this. Um, and Ono was spectacular in selling the finish, staggering <laughs> around. And- he is. Like, you know what I mean? Like, people think it's dumb that we're going to say the seven-second second match, you were spectacular. But he was. Like, he got up and he, what, he didn't feel right. He needed the ropes. Like, and you know Ono. Who we know is better. We know Ono is great and capable of having incredible matches and whatnot. 
he loves this situation. He loves being the guy helping guys get to that next level. He loves getting guys over now. He knows that that's what his lot in life is right now, which is fine with him. So I think he played it up perfectly, and I'm totally cool with it. Riddle should be a lot. Riddle, Riddle should be beating people in, 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 in 7 and 15 and 20 seconds, you know, even if it's jobbers or whatever, for the next few weeks, just to kind of build his, his, his rep up. Because I think it, it's different. It's unique. So I'm, I'm fine with him doing this all, all the time. And, and I don't know if they're going to have a competitive match down the line. But honestly, I don't really, I mean, yeah, it'd be great to see that. But I, I want Riddle to feel special and feel different different so i don't care if he you know beats a bunch of dudes in seven seconds it's fine with me no i think this made maximum impact i i don't know about going on an entire run where he where he beats guys that quickly but um this on the takeover show with all those eyes on it um you know that this was maximum impact and ono was perfect here and uh yeah i didn't have any problem with that and i'd rather have a match like this on the takeover show than some four-minute match taped for TV. That's what we talked about last week. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. The, you know, the, you, you get the maximum amount of eyes on them, especially if you do really plan on getting behind them and pushing them, which it appears that they do. So, yeah, I had no problem with this, and I was pleasantly surprised that they found a way to shoe, shoehorn it onto the actual show. Yeah, I was kind of surprised as well, and, and and when when he did come out, I realized, oh shit, it's going to probably be something quick. Seven seconds I didn't expect, but yeah, it's exactly what it should be, and and it's it shows you how much more impactful this sort of win is versus a five or seven minute match or whatever, where Ono attacks him and Ono beats him down and beats him down and beats him down, and then Riddle just gets a win, you know, in the last five seconds or whatever, and then that's kind of that doesn't do anything, and we see that all the time with like main roster debuts, and sometimes NXT is guilty of it as well. This is perfect. Just have this guy come out here and kill this dude. Ono is where he's at right now. Riddle looks like a million bucks. As you said, more eyes saw it. It opened the show. It was a hot opener to get the crowd ready. Yeah, it, it was totally perfect. So I think they played that ideal. So uh, yeah, thumbs up definitely for that. Uh, move on now to the uh, 2 out of 3 falls NXT women's title match. You had Shayna Baszler defeating Kyrie Sane 2-1. to one. Of course, it went to the uh, third fall, which I know is a surprise for everybody. But Joe, I thought this was awesome. I really, really liked this match. What did you think of it? Yeah, this was this was, uh, this was was a lot of fun. It was It was very clearly split into three acts. And you had the stuff with the horsewomen, then you had Dakota Kai trying to make the save, and then you had the surprising appearance of uh, Io Shirai and uh, with the moonsault off the top. And the, the thing about this is the crowd was so hot for it, and it helped it so much because of that. And that's always the case on these takeover shows. But a match like this, and really the next three matches on the show, this match and the two that followed it, were worked with such a pace that they didn't give the crowd a chance to come down at all either. And all three of the matches held the crowd's attention and the crowd stayed hot uh, from beginning to end. And they weren't all short matches. The Tommaso Ciampa match was like 23 minutes. So, yeah, um, yeah the crowd heat was spectacular for this. The great crowds always take up these NXT matches uh, a notch. And I, I, I liked how wild and out of control it felt. And yeah, uh, thumbs up for this match. I enjoyed it a lot. I had no problem with I, I Baszler. The, I had no problem with Baszler retaining either. No. No, I think they did it in a great way as well. They had, like you said, the, the right amount of interference. Like, Baszler obviously used her crew. Uh, Sane had people that came out for her, which I, I, I think is something that I, I, I think is really overlooked in pro wrestling. And if I was booking pro wrestling, which don't give me the pencil because it'd be bad, but, like, I hate the idea that, like, a face just gets, like, beaten down and nobody comes out to help yeah. them. Like, I love the idea that Dakota Kai, who that played up to something a few months ago, but Dakota Kai isn't necessarily one-on-one, you know, relationship with Sane and, 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 and their tag team partners in the same stable or whatever, but she just said, no, this is, this is injustice and Shayna Baszler is an ass. 
asshole and fucked me up, you know, many, many months ago. So I'm going to go out there and help him or whatever. And same with Io Shirai. Like, we know, you know, from stardom or whatnot that Io Shirai and, and Kyrie Sane have some relationship or whatnot. But still, it, it works perfectly for her to come out and say, no, no, you know what? No, fuck you too. I'm going to also come and, and I'm going to do this spectacular thing or whatnot. So it, it all worked in the story. Baszler gets the win, but she doesn't look super weak in it as well. Because again, like I said, the interference, there was interference that came in. And we, and we talked about this, uh, you know, a few weeks ago and on, on, on the last takeovers and, and a few weeks ago uh, on NXT TV and, the, and, the, and, and, and Evolution and whatnot is that, you know, Baszler gets these wins. Yeah, her, her buddies are helping her. Her buddies are obviously getting, you know, an edge or whatever. But at the end of the day, Baszler is still getting the, the, the tap outs. Baszler is still putting the submissions in. Kyrie Sane comes from the top rope and Baszler counters it. Yeah, maybe the second where Sane had to look over to make sure that her crew wasn't going to come out or whatever or the distraction or whatnot was what, what gave her that little opening to kind of put in the, the hold and, and get her in the submission or whatnot. But that's important. It's important to me that it's not a distraction roll-up or, you know, low blow into a, you know, a, a distraction or a chair or whatever. It's it's still Shayna Baszler winning by her move. Shayna Baszler winning by her, you know, her skills, but it's just, yeah, maybe the, the buddies are helping out a little bit, which I think is perfect. It, it keeps the heel heat on Baszler because you know that she's just like, you know, she could win on her own if she wanted to, but she's just choosing the easy route. And it kind of annoys you that way. And Sane looks like a super baby face too, because she's fighting these people off, fighting these people off or whatever. And then just gets caught in the end by Baszler, who's still a great wrestler as well. So I think they did this perfect. A lot of great counters in this match as well. But yeah, I thought this was an awesome, awesome match. And it packed a lot into 10 minutes as well. This match only went about 11 minutes. It felt a lot longer, which is good though. It didn't feel like it dragged at any point, but it also didn't feel like it was only 11 minutes. So I think uh, thumbs up for them because sometimes two out of three falls matches can get a little long in the tooth, but they kept this, uh, I think, at a perfect, perfect dis- uh, uh, time, I should say. I'll move on now to uh, my match of the night, I believe yours as well. Uh, Alistair Black and Johnny Gargano, a little over 18 minutes, Alistair Black defeating Johnny Gargano. Joe, I thought this was spectacular. And I saw, uh, I watched it a few days after a bunch of other people, and I saw there were some arguments about, you know, I know, arguments on Twitter, about people, you know, overrating this match or comparing it to things. And Dave Meltzer calls it like a Noah all Japan match and people are driving down at yada 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 whatever whatever I don't care what the hell the comparisons are this match fucking rocked and it felt different than any WWE match it didn't feel like NXT house style it didn't feel like WWE house style it felt like a grudge match it felt like a fight and goddamn it was it fucking awesome first of all let's get this out of the way um, I have to attempt to be the voice of reason I think that's my role uh, I've got to attempt to be the voice of reason here because of the Tommaso Ciampa feud, which I think we could all admit, no matter where we stand on the matches, was a little bit heavy-handed on the drama bullshit, there are some people who have decided that they just do not like Johnny Gargano. And um, and that's fair. If you don't like Johnny Gargano, I don't, yeah, that's fine. You don't have to like Johnny Gargano. Um, but we have reached a point with, with Gargano where some people are just coming into his matches with guns drawn and they are just ready to dislike everything this guy does. So I look, I typically don't like to do this and I know there's people who don't like hearing things like this, but I really think in some cases there's some opinions that you simply have to disregard when it comes to Johnny Gargano's matches. I think the same holds true for Kenny Omega. Now that doesn't mean I'm saying that aren't, that there aren't people who genuinely don't like his stuff or genuinely don't like Omega stuff. I don't think that's true. I think there are some people who, but there are also some people where it's very easy to see the difference between who genuinely doesn't like the matches and who has just decided that this is a wrestler I don't like and I am just going to shit talk them, uh, you know, and it's just going to be my thing. Um, and, and it's time that 
in the greater wrestling discourse, we just start ignoring those people. I mean, it, it's just they, they, it adds nothing um, productive. But um, with that said, this was you know coming into the match as someone who didn't particularly care. Yeah, now listen, anyone who listens to the TV reviews knows I hate the way they set up this feud. I the the, the who done it bullshit. I was not particularly thrilled with the Gargano Chiampa overly dramatic stuff. So I came into this match as agnostic as possible. This was one of the best matches of the year. This was fucking incredible. Um this was essentially 20 minutes of a hot closing stretch in all the best ways possible. It was two guys with, you know, vicious striking, incredible pace. I mean, the pace of this match was insane. I mean, it was just from the opening bell to the pin. Like I said, it was like they worked a 20-minute hot closing stretch. It was, the pacing just blew me away. And the work was all crisp. The striking was awesome. There were awesome throws. They worked this match to the feud, meaning... They worked with the intensity that you would expect from the build. This was just a great, great pro wrestling match. It'll probably be in my top 10 when it's all said and done. I flirted with going five stars. It was that great. Um, Johnny Gargano is, a, is, an, is an incredible professional. He's, he's, he is, look, some of, he does go over the top. There's no question at times. In the in the Tommaso Ciampa feud, they went over the top, and it really got eye rolly. But when you really watch those matches, it, the, 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 there's there's no griping with the work. There, there's really no legitimate griping with the work, and a match like this, that stuff was kept to a minimum. I saw people complaining about cutting promos in the middle of the match on each other. That was so overblown, uh, so overblown. I was expecting the worst coming into this. Coming in, I was expecting. Uh, Tommaso Ciampa type stuff. Right, which we've gotten. We've got, I mean, we've had worse like in the last like two months on the NXT. I mean, you can't, you couldn't avoid really bad cutting promos mid match stuff. This was very tame by the standards that we've seen over the last, I mean, shit, the whole entire year with Ciampa and Gargano, where, where they're 20 minutes of the match is them yelling at each other. This was, yeah, a little comment here and there in between moves. So, no, I don't think it was anywhere near as bad of what, as what we've seen this year already. I mean, Jesus Christ, nowhere close. I, I think that just, you know, some Gargano's just one of those guys that people have decided they don't like. I don't think you could objectively look at this match. Look, I don't think you have to think it's this incredible flirting with five stars match of the year contender like I'm saying it was. I don't think that, but I don't see how you could objectively watch this match and think that wasn't good. I mean, that's not, I, that doesn't, that doesn't, yeah. you know what I mean? It's like, that doesn't, yeah, it doesn't make you. sense to me. And, and I, I'm sorry, but I know people don't want to hear it, but I, I, I have to question those opinions because there was nothing there was nothing even there there wasn't even like we're going to talk about the next match there were egregious things in that match that I could see legitimately annoying people I get it even though I liked it and I think you didn't so we'll have a good discussion there but the Black Gargano match was just a hard-hitting solid solidly worked kick-ass fight is what it was and so I don't I can't objectively understand why someone would say, oh, that was terrible. I, I, I'm sorry. I don't buy it. I, I don't buy it. Yeah, one thing I loved about this match, I think my favorite thing about it was, and, and, and I didn't even notice this until I kind of thought about it and said, wait a minute, did that just hit? 
there's no pinfalls. I mean, the only the first pinfall you get in the entire match is when Gargano tries to trick Alistair Black and give him a roll-up. That's the first pinfall. And that's like, you know, 10, 15 minutes into the match that we're talking about. There wasn't pinfalls. Black wasn't there to win the match. He was there to beat the fuck out of Gargano. You know what I mean? And, and Gargano was there to sort of try to get a pinfall and try to win or whatever. But still, yeah, I just love the idea that they wrestled it that way. I mean, that's how a grudge match should be. Alistair Black wasn't there to kind of you know, get a slick win in five minutes or whatever. He was there to punish the guy and make him pay or whatever. And and Gargano played a pretty good sort of tweener throughout as well. There was times where he was super, you know, old school Gargano and trying to play up the face stuff. And then there was times where he was super heel or whatnot. So I think they did a great job about that. You know, the, I'll put me out of my misery and then black goes for the kick. And then he slides out and tries to pin him. Like just little stuff like that. I think they did great. So I think all in all, I really, really enjoyed this match. And I think it was played exactly to the feud, a feud that I didn't like. And I hated, and I, we talked about it last week. I, I rolled it and I could do, nothing with this feud. I, I, I didn't give a shit, but when it was all said and done, I really, really enjoyed the match. I thought they put it together, something great there. So yeah, that's uh don't know if it's going to be in my top 10, but it's definitely going to be in the mix there for sure. I think it is that good. Uh, so let's move on to the uh, NXT title match. You have Tommaso Ciampa defeating Velveteen Dream in a match that I just, I you know, I and, and you know, you prefaced it by saying I didn't like it. It's one of those situations where like, I'm going to go probably like four, four and a quarter, and oh, that so like means it. I don't like it. Bec- I mean, I liked it in the sense, like, I didn't hate it. I just don't think it was to the, I thought Aleister Black and Gargano was light years better than that, and I thought Baszler Insane w- w- was, was way better as well. This one felt very much WWE house style to me, which isn't a complaint. Like, I would much rather watch this. I would I'd much rather watch a Champa Velveteen Dream over a chinlock party or some boring ass, you know, long drawn out, you know, body part attack match or whatever. But there was times where I was kind of like, all right, guys, I get it. Like, yes, moves and kickouts and 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 move and like it was just worked. Like you said, at a breakneck pace, and 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 sometimes that can get boring. It can be it can be sometimes where you're just doing it too much. You're doing too many moves. You're doing too much shit. And I just didn't get invested in the match all that much because it just felt like these guys were just out there doing stuff. When it, all said and done, though, they did stuff to a great level, and I still like said I, I four four and a quarter with it. I I just don't see it on a level. I, I saw some people call it the match of the year, their favorite match they've ever seen. You know, they've seen this entire year, and like I saw, I saw a bunch of those. And I don't know if that's again like people sort of you know trying to project something different on that, or, or you know trying to project how much they didn't like Argano and Black or whatever. But I saw a lot of that, and I was just like, oh boy, no, 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 no. I don't think it was anywhere near that level, but it was still very good. I thought it was a great match. I thought it was easily the best Velveteen dream match to this point and easily his best performance. He was awesome here. Um, the, the thing about it is they did a lot of near falls, a lot of near falls. This was super near fall heavy. If you're someone who can't stand a thousand 2.9 kickouts, I can totally see you not liking this match. Yeah. And keep in mind, I watched this spoiled as well, knowing that. Well, that's Champa a problem too. Where, I didn't watch it spoiled. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. If you don't, if, if maybe those kickouts, because I'm watching them a little bit, and there were some that were like two point nine 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 nine, like with Dream feeling like and looking like he got a visual pinfall on, uh, on Champ, and me going, "Oh my god!" Like I know the result, but this is really close or whatnot. I can absolutely imagine. I can absolutely see that if you watched it live, you'd maybe bump it up a little bit more because they were great at the at the kickouts and the near falls and that sort of stuff. If you go in knowing the result, though, you might come away with those near falls not having the same impact. And as you said, the story of this match was near falls. The story of this match was 2.9 kickouts. So that, that could definitely change a little bit of the perceptions of it. I will defend the egregious use of the near falls, though. Because, number, well, number one, I don't, I don't mind that style of match. I like that style of match when it's done well. I find that exciting. And I think excitement and drama are the two most important components to me to a great wrestling. I love excitement and drama. I, I don't know why somebody wouldn't. Um, so I don't mind that style of match. So that's not going to 
put me off right off the bat. But, I, but there are times where wrestlers attempt that style of match and they do overdo it. Where we've all seen matches where we said, that was really good, but it should have ended five minutes earlier. Or that was really good, but this should have been the finish. And then they did three other things and it kind of ruined it for me. Do you, you know what I mean, Rich? We've all been in those situations before where we've, um, where we've said that about a match. This match had a ton of near falls. Okay, but I don't think they ever, for me at least, it never hit the point where I thought they overdid it or they did one too many. It never, this match did not peak early to me. It peaked, uh, it, it peaked right where it needed to peak and I thought all of the near falls worked and I never felt like it reached overkill. So, um, but I can totally see the counter argument where I can see someone rolling their eyes and saying, ah, oh, come on now. I mean, this is how many, how many more near falls are we going to have here? I totally accept that argument. Um, so, so that's where I stand on it. I thought it was, uh, I, it, it, I didn't feel that way about it, so I thought it was excellent. I didn't think it was good as Black and Gargano, but I thought it was a, uh, a, a very, very good match. Black Gargano, I would be tempted to, to, to I really thought it was really fucking great. I, I, would be tempted to go five, but since I'm not thoroughly convinced, I'd go four and three quarters. And uh, Champa Dream, I'd probably go, you know, four and a half or something like that. I, I did prefer the Black Organo match, though, to this one. Uh, and then the main events, uh, the War Games match, Pete Dunne, Ricochet, and the War Raiders defeating the Undisputed Era. Joe, this went 47 minutes, and it just didn't need to go 47 minutes. I was really into it. You know, for the first portion of the match, which, by the way, I don't know if you know about War Games matches, but they don't actually officially start until everybody gets in the ring. Um, I know that was clarified a few times throughout the match, but it was good to know that 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 is actually how it goes. That Joe, that the the match doesn't officially begin, doesn't officially begin until everybody is in the ring. That had to be somebody had to say, "Hey, guys, say that," and and, and it must have annoyed them because they were like every time they were saying it. And by the way, the joke I'm making is Mar Ronaldo, uh, Nigel McGuinness, and everybody. I mean, mostly those two were really just hitting it. Every single fucking five minutes. You know the match doesn't start until everybody's officially in there. It must have been some memo that got sent around that said, guys, make sure you indicate this. Make sure you say this. They must have, and they were saying it with, like, this disdain, too. It wasn't like, Morrow was saying it, like, tongue-in-cheek. Like, he knew that it was stupid that he had to keep saying it, but he just kept saying it anyway. Did you did you catch that vibe as well with the constant reminders that the match doesn't begin until everyone's in the ring? Well, um, we're recording this on a Tuesday, and I haven't seen the match yet. Because I haven't had time what? to get to it. So, oh, this is all you, you know. my now friend. Now you know what it is. Okay, well, it was 47 minutes. It was some good heat. And then it just went on for 20 minutes way too long. And you tell the crowd was like, all right, what's going on? I, 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 I liked it. I think it was a good match overall. I, I, I you know... I, I give it a thumbs up. I just think it just did not need to be 47 minutes. And the problem is, too, is, you know, it, the hottest part of the match is when new guys come in, right? You know, you've watched a, a War Games match. The hottest part is, okay, this guy came in. Okay, cool. Pete Dunne's come in to kind of, you know, make everything work. Or, oh, yeah, it's Hanson, and, and he's coming in to kind of give the advantage. Like, that's the fun part of the match. That's the real interesting part of the match. The problem, though, is that part was over, you know, 20, 25 minutes into it. 
And you went 47 minutes longer where guys are just setting up tables and then it got a little too plundery. There was just a little too much stuff after everybody got in the ring and, and that kind of took it down for me. I think the, the hottest part was when people were coming in and new people were entering the ring and all that sort of stuff's happening and then they just got long in the tooth. Then it just kept going and kept going and kept going and kept going and it just felt too long. 47 minutes is way too long for this match and I think you'll you'll get the same idea as, as well. It stinks because like halfway through I'm watching it going, man, people are kind of being hard on this match. I really like it and then you know, 25 minutes later I'm like, alright, I get it. Yeah, this is just overly long and does not need to be this way to the point where, as I said, the crowd was kind of uninvested in it as well. And then when the match, when the, when the finish finally came, the crowd had more of a, oh, thank God it's over than like, oh, thank God this team won or whatever. So I, I, I'm curious what your thoughts are when you do eventually watch it. But uh, keep uh, keep an eye on the amount of times that uh, that that Moral Percy and, and Nigel remind you that the match doesn't officially begin until everyone is in the ring. I'm convinced that like six guys told them that and they just said, you know, what the fuck? Like, why did why did why do we have to say it so? many times or someone was in the earpiece saying hey remind them that you know the match doesn't start till everybody gets in the ring because there were there were times where Mara would say it and then Nigel would say you're right Mara you know I know that like this match does not officially be like they would just like every time just go on and on and on about it it had to be a joke it had to be some sort of inside joke so we'll, we'll, we'll I'm curious what your thoughts are when you do it well I think it, that's, uh, I think the that's problem with a lot of these WWE stipulation matches is they're scheduled so it's like what I mean by that is the feuds that, that that are put into these stipulation matches don't warrant the stipulation. It's just, well, it's time for war games, so we're going to put these 10 guys into a war games match, or it's time for Elimination Chamber. So yeah, it's like, that sucks a lot of the juice out of these stipulation matches when they're just ha- happening on schedule, and whoever happens to be feuding at that point in time is put into them. Up, oh, it's time for TLC, so everyone has to be in a stipulation match on this show, you know. And I, I think, I think that's what what hurts these matches more than anything. Yeah, and this this feud is not to the level of a no. War Games feud either, and that and that and that's evident too. Is like the crowd is into the match, but they are nowhere near as into this match as they were for Black and and, and Gargano or even Champa and Dream as well. You can see a noticeable crowd fall in, in, in this match. And it's even during the heat part of the match, even the, even in the interesting part of it, the crowd is just not nearly as invested in it because why would they be? They're just kind of like, all right, yeah, these guys are in the war games match. Like, it's cool. Like, it just did not have, you know, and given the, all, all the other stories that have been told, you know, Baszler and, and, and Sane as well, like you said, the crowd is going absolutely fucking apeshit for that. But that's that story's been being told for, you know, six, seven months or whatnot. Black and Gargano has been told for the entire summer. And Ciampa and Dream is, is is one that I don't really love to build, but but people see Dream as kind of the up-and-comer and Ciampa is obviously a mega heel or whatnot. So those all had like a different level of heat where this match just felt like all right well it's november and that's nxt war games time so here we go these guys are in a war games match so it didn't it didn't live up to that potential and they try to make it brutal and they try to do stuff like that but yeah you'll see it kind of gets too plundery and just doesn't quite get to that level but i know some people really really liked it i think our reviewer gave it like a five stars or whatnot so it just didn't work for me and but that's fine like that it might be a type of match that if you're into a war games scenario a little bit more than I am that you might like it but I just didn't I, I, I didn't really love it all that much I had a buddy who uh, was a casual fan that, that watched it and was like oh my god that was awesome and I was like alright cool like you know good for you it wasn't quite for me but um, you know I'm glad you enjoyed it so um all right, so that is TakeOver War Games. Yet again, another thumbs-up TakeOver. Never bet against a TakeOver. They are almost always good. So, <laughs> thumbs-up there. Uh, then we get to Survivor I, I got to tell, oh, tell you quickly. Yeah, go ahead. I have to tell you real quickly, and we'll move on. If, if, I, if I enjoy the War Games, that's one of the best TakeOvers I've ever seen. And, and I know that's a heavy statement. 
But if yeah, no, I mean, I honestly, it was. I mean, and I didn't enjoy the war games all that much, and I would still probably say that because the three matches in between, and even the opener too, which was only seven seconds, but perfect. I mean, yeah. it did exactly what it needed to do. The three matches, the bulk of the show, were incredible. I mean, they were three of my favorite matches that WWE has put on this entire year. So I'm very curious in your thoughts on the war games because yeah, if you if you really think that you love that war games match, it might bump up a little bit for you. And I've seen that take. I've seen the take that this is the best takeover ever, and I, I wouldn't I wouldn't argue with it really. All right, Survivor Series. Joe, before we go match by match, what do you think overall of uh, the battle for brand supremacy that was Survivor Series? It was an uneven show, but by WWE main roster standards, it was what I would call a good show. I think right. I can't call it great. Take it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can't call it a great show. I can't call it even a very good show, but I thought it was a good show because I thought there were three matches on this show that, um, well, there's one match that I think was incredible. And then there's uh, two other matches that I thought were, were very good. So I will take that on any show, honestly, but especially a WWE main roster show. But there was plenty of junk, too. So it was a very uneven show. But that's what you're going to get with WWE. For sure. Uh, one thing that was awesome as well that uh, officially now, Joe, you are no longer allowed to judge me for not watching the pre-show because SmackDown was swept in the Survivor Series. Uh, Michael Cole specifically said SmackDown is swept and that the match on the pre-show did not count amongst SmackDown's count or whatever. So SmackDown was swept, uh, which once finally, officially, 100% puts it down that the pre-show is meaningless and does not matter. So Joe, I no longer need to be judged by you for not watching the pre-show. So there. Did you see the report that (laughs) SmackDown, that the finish of that match was screwed up but by via miscommunication and the wrong side won or the side that they intended to win did not win raw. The raw side was supposed to win the match, but there was the finish got changed and there was miscommunication and that was a screw up according to Meltzer. So that's interesting that then they had to ignore the result because they fucked up and someone didn't get the memo that the raw side was supposed to win the match. How the fuck does that happen in this company? That's yeah, that's pretty bad. With the micromanaging <laughs> I mean, have, that goes have, on, and you have thirty-five road agents. Mm-hmm. Every single match has an has fifteen agents. You got thirty writers. You got seven guys in gorilla. Yeah, it's unbelievable that it could happen. Yeah, unbelievable that it could inconceivable that it would happen in two thousand eighteen. Given as you said, how micromanaged and how every single spot and every movement is is preplanned and 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 positioned and. Music is loaded up and video is loaded up and interviews are ready. Yeah, like, it's and, just, and, and, how, yeah. How, and, how did that happen? See, I don't buy that. I, I, I don't buy this idea that Vince is sitting there and as it's playing out, he, he sees it with the rest of us. At some point, he knew that SmackDown was going to win and I think he just said, well, fuck it. Just, you know what I mean? I, I, I don't buy into the yeah. idea that he's watching it on his monitor and is shocked when the other side wins. So I think it may have been just too late in the game to either change it or reformat it. But I don't understand that either. Why can't you just get into the referee's headset and say, you know, they've done that before. Change the finish. And it's also, it, these are all geeks. It's not like a title's going right. to change. Just tell the fucking Revival to roll up, you yeah. know, Killian Dane and pin him and call it a fucking day. Just have Connor pin Primo and move on. Like, it doesn't matter. Nobody got anything from this. So, you know, it, have Gable roll up Xavier Woods. No one's going to ever care. No one's ever going to remember it ever again. What a collection of scrubs, <laughs> misused talent, and just wrestlers that no one gives a single fuck about in this match. 
it, it you know, it, and then the Usos and New Day. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's just people that you literally forget are on the roster. And who the hell knew, like, Bobby Roode and Gable are, like, this tag team? I mean, most people, a lot of people don't even know they were a team. Why are they a team? That's or the Lucha question. House Party can use revised Freebird rules and just go in and out at any moment's notice and nobody cares. Lucha House Party, who clearly were temporarily moved up to Raw just to fill out this match. I mean, let's be honest. And then, Rich, is it is it... Can I take my victory lap on Bobby Roode just being an entrance theme that was going nowhere on the main roster? Is it too... Oh, I mean, come on. I was with you. Yeah, Can we no, take absolutely. our victory lap on I, that? I said that a long time ago. Oh, I think we absolutely could. You know, that was... The Bobby Roode is actually good people were pretty... Uh, pretty I mean, if you couldn't see that that guy had very, very no much. future on the main roster. I mean, he's average as fuck. He, he is a, he's a human entrance theme. If he didn't luck in... If Shinsuke Nakamura doesn't reject that entrance theme... I'm not sure Bobby Roode gets out of NXT. I mean, he's a non-entity. You know, he's, he's, he is as much of a jag as there has ever been. But, um, you know, and, and, and that's it. He's done. I mean, you're never going to see him climb back up the card. I mean, you know. He, oh, that mobility's done. I mean, he's like, what, 41, 42 yeah. years old? Like, that, yeah, the mobility is done. He's dead. Yeah, yeah I mean, if they ever decide dead. to cut anybody again, he's on the short list. I mean, you know, uh, so it's it's, yeah. I, it's just crazy to me that this company could screw up that badly if in case that was the case. All right. I did not watch it because of the pre-show and it doesn't matter anymore. So It wasn't uh, good Raw. if you're wondering. <laughs> it was not good. Yeah, I was, I'm, I'm not shocked. All right. Uh, Team Raw, Mickey James, Nia Jax, Tamina, Bailey, and Sasha Banks defeating Team SmackDown, Naomi, Carmella, Sonya Deville, Asuka, and the surprise entrant, Mandy Rose. Because <laughs> why could they not just not announce Mandy Rose? Well, the whole yet? thing got changed too because the Raw team was kicking people off the team, and 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 you know before the during the pre-show and right, Ruby Riot quit, and they Bailey and Sasha Banks got in, and yeah, and then they don't win anyway. <laughs> you know, Bailey and Sasha Banks get in the match, and then they just you know Bailey gets a double count out, and 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 Banks gets pinned. Ba- Banks doesn't even make it to the end. So I I don't know. This was just. Poorly booked from pre-show through the finish, and the match stunk. And I don't know; it was just it was just garbage. It was just a uh, you know not a good match, and 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 poorly booked and overbooked with all of the changes and everything. And um, I have no use for Carmella and her dopey dancing. I cannot stand Carmella in any form. I mean, so bad. Just, I, I I don't like dance routines in the middle of matches. I just I don't like dance routines before matches. I mean, just fight. I just want you to fight. I'm getting grumpy. I just want you to fight. Um, it's just bad. There's really not much else to add here. This just was not good. All right, so move on to Seth Rollins and Shinsuke Nakamura. Went 21 minutes for this match. Joe, what'd you think of this one? It was a uh, Shinsuke Nakamura WWE match. It was it was okay. And I'll never think about it I again. I thought it was better than his baseline. I, I would say better than his baseline that he's had. It didn't feel lazy, but it's, again, I think you, you nailed it right there. I will never remember this match again. When it was over, I said, ah, that was pretty good. And then the next match happened, and I, that was the last time I'll ever think of Seth Rollins and Shinsuke Nakamura ever again. It was, I mean, that's that's kind of what it is. It's just not, there's no lasting impression. It was it was good. It was fine. It was better than lazy, but it's it, it was, you know, lifeless. And, and that was kind of the thing with a lot of the show where nothing is really going to matter for more than that moment or this entire show and we'll talk about some moments that should have mattered that only mattered for this show as well but this is one that you're like when it was over you're like yep all right cool that was a good match but 
I'm good. <laughs> you know, and, like it'll never retain, and it, nothing, uh, nothing of consequence happened in the match. So, so there's a three. Is it just a basic three star match? It was not offensive. It wasn't particularly great. It was just there. It's fine. I mean, it sounds like you liked it a little more than me, but eh. maybe a little more. But yeah, not not a whole lot more. Uh, speaking of offensive, uh, AOP <laughs> defeated the Bar via piss. Joe. <laughs> What are we? I watching? don't know what I'm. This is this is the kind of stuff where <laughs> this isn't wrestling. Yeah. This isn't wrestling. What it is, is this? It's just garbage. It's just garbage. And Drake Maverick is. <laughs> what don't even talk about it. And Drake Maverick is treated so seriously on 205 Live, and he does such a great job on 205 Live, and then it's just you know, now, and he's pissing himself on the main roster. It's just. I don't know who. Not even like a good amount of piss either. Just like a little. Like that doesn't even look like if you're gonna do the pissing angle. Those pants should be soaked. It was just like a little drip. Like what the hell? Are they well, doing? who is this for? The crowd didn't pop. Who is this entertaining? Uh, Joe, there's a 73-year-old in grill position that fucking loved this angle. <laughs> so that's that's who it was for. And, and it's, right? once again, the, the bar. <laughs> oh, God, I got his pants. Yeah. And, hey, best I'm Sal. God damn. And it led to the finish and all that. And then, you know, once again, the bar yeah. is better on paper than in reality. It's, you know, they yeah, never. Right. Back when they very first formed, I guess they had some, some, some nice uh, tag team matches. But for the better part of a year or more. I mean, they're just another team on the roster with guys who, in theory, should be having better matches. But, you know, th- through booking and probably their own, like, are you going to kill yourself if you're Sheamus? I mean, you know, it's, God, no. you know, so I don't know. This was, uh, yeah, it was fucking terrible. All right. Speaking of not terrible at all, not fucking terrible, Buddy Murphy and Mustafa Ali, 12 minutes, Cruiserweight Championship match. Joe, this match fucking rocked. You know, I talked about how, like, kickouts and all that sort of stuff, and, and Ciampa, uh, uh, Ciampa and, and, and uh, Velveteen Dream kind of got a little old to me. This match, I think, was similar kind of to that style, but I think they did it in just a so much better way in terms of the moves they were doing were incredible. The heat, I mean, I I told you a few weeks ago, the thing that I love most about a wrestling match is when, like, a crowd doesn't care, and then guys build them up, build them up, build them up, and then by the end of the match, people care. And yeah, they didn't care a ton because they still don't know who these guys are, and 205 Live is still the geek show that nobody really knows about, but this was a good step because it was, you know, fourth from the top or whatever, after, and, and, and I think it, it followed some shit before it, too, so it made it, you know, it wasn't like it got overshadowed either, but so I think it's a good situation for 205 Live, and I Hopefully it does lead to, you know, more bookings like this. But, you know, ultimately they got half the crowd, the crowd that did not have any fucking clue who they were and didn't care when the match started. They got them invested and these guys went out there and killed one another and just did an incredibly smooth, awesome 205 live match. And I hope people now open their eyes and go, oh, my God, this is what's capable on the show because they're doing this sort of stuff all the time. People just aren't seeing it or watching it. And and it's getting worse, you know, overall ratings than NXT UK and all that shit on the network. But, uh, man, if this doesn't make you at least seek out some amount of 205 live, you're lost. I don't know what to tell you. If you like good wrestling, 205 Live is by far the best show this company produces on a week-in, week-out basis. If you just like good bell-to-bell wrestling and logical, uh, don't make it too complicated storytelling. And, you know, it's it's the weekly show has had matches that I think are just as good or better than this one. And this was an excellent match, but... I've seen matches on 205 Live week in, week out that were that were a little better than this one. So, I mean, I suspect that most people that listen to our show are watching 205 Live, you know, either on a weekly basis or at least dropping in when they hear that something was good. But, um, yeah, if you're not, you should be. This is the kind of stuff you're getting. Most of the, main, most of the weekly main events are of this quality. 
that you saw on this show, and this was a really good match. I thought uh, you compared it to Ciampa Dream. I thought the NXT match was better than this match, but it had the advantage of you know they were trying to have an epic, and I thought they delivered on that. Um, this match got 12 minutes and was in the middle of the show and for a secondary title. So um, there were advantages that the NXT match had, but yeah, this was a this was a really solid match, and it was the first match on this show that you know wasn't that, that was better than just you know existing. All right, Team Raw, the 5-on-5 five five Survivor Series elimination match. Team Raw with all their goofy little t-shirts. Dolph Ziggler, Drew McIntyre, Braun Strowman, Finn Balor, and Bobby Lashley defeating Team SmackDown, The Miz, Shane McMahon, Rey Mysterio, Samoa Joe, and Jeff Hardy. Of course, if you're wondering, yes, of course, Shane McMahon was the featured <laughs> wrestler on Team SmackDown. Samoa Joe, yes, did get eliminated in about 10 seconds. And yes, there was turmoil on Team Raw, but eventually they uh, succeeded. Joe, what would you think of this one? Because I thought it kind of No, this is so. bad. A lot, of, a lot of times this match is really good, you know, because at least they tell a really good story with this match a lot of the time. But this year wasn't one of those years. The crowd fucking hated that Samoa Joe was eliminated so quickly. I mean, they shit on that big time. And he got the biggest pop on the, uh, on the pre-show when they were going over all the, uh, the members of each team. So that was a crowd that was there to see Samoa Joe, and they were annoyed when he got eliminated so quickly. And then, yeah, just, just there was nothing to this. It wasn't very good. I think a more interesting topic would be, I want to talk about Drew McIntyre for a second because it's very clear that they've protected him and he was one of the survivors here and I think that he's going to get a main event level push. Rich, I don't think he's a star. I don't... Joe, he was one of the sole survivors. That's what she said after the match. I think uh, JoJo said the sole survivors of the match. Yes, three three sole like, survivors. Oh boy, <laughs> just come on. But uh, Tony is rolling in his grave if you call three people the sole survivors. God damn. Yeah, but I, I don't. Go on. I don't see him as a potential, um, you know, uh, big time star at the top. And and they're going to give him the opportunity, and I think they're going to give him that level of push. But um, I, I don't see Drew McIntyre as that guy. What do you what do you think of that? Yeah, I don't I don't know with him right now. I, I, I see him as a, like kind of that weird sort of upper mid card role guy where he gets title shots, he gets title opportunities or whatnot, but I just don't know that he's your guy. Like I don't think he's your star or whatever. They've they've been protecting him very well though, like you said. It's obvious that they see him as a star and they see him as somebody I mean, he gets protected almost more than even like a Braun Strowman does. Well, Rich, they don't right pr- they don't kind of taking liberties with. They don't yeah. protect anybody. So it stands out right. that they protect him. So I, I, I think he's very clearly going to get a main event level push. And I mean a serious main event level. Like, main event, like I, could see, I, I can see them really attempting to go all the way with him in terms of like a WrestleMania level main eventer. And, right. Yeah, I, I don't know that I see that quite, and and it's weird because I don't I, the promo wise I don't know like he's got a good promo, but they're kind of all the same. We've kind of laughed about that as a, a little bit as well. He's got a great look, and he's he's a good in ring wrestler. I don't know. It just seems it just seems weird, and maybe it's because we know that in the past they've gone kind of done the same thing with him and then given up on him for for a multitude of reasons. I don't know. It's just I, I guess I'm just gun shy about anybody they really push and protect or whatnot. But he just doesn't. I don't know if he projects like WrestleMania main event star to me. But he projects definitely like an upper mid-card guy, and I feel like that's sort of his ceiling. But we'll see. I mean, it's obvious that they want him to be WrestleMania main event level guy. So I don't know. I, I, I don't see it. Maybe I'm a little I'm a little more positive than you on it, but I, I, I still have a tough time kind of seeing the scenario where he's, you know, your top star or you know, kind of your big marketable star or whatever. I mean, in this era, whoever they want to be at the top will be on the top because for reasons we've talked about a million times, it doesn't really matter. 
but I, he, he strikes me as a guy who in, a, in an era where the television ratings his segments draw and the fans that he draws to live shows and all of those sort of things sort of, you know, back when those things mattered, he strikes me as a guy who they would put attempt to push with, it wouldn't catch on, and they would quickly uh, abort mission. I just don't think he has the charisma to be a top-of-the-card um, superstar main eventer. I don't know. I just wanted to get your take on that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, so now we have a singles match here. Ronda Rousey and Charlotte Flair. Ronda Rousey defeating Charlotte Flair by disqualification. Of course, Charlotte Flair, after a pretty good match, running about 14 minutes, uh, snaps, starts hitting Ronda Rousey with a kendo stick, does a vicious attack, pilmanizes her neck, destroys her, leaves her bloody in a bloody pool of, of you know, her ears busted open, her mouth's busted open. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about the beatdown here in a little bit, but let's talk about the match first. I thought this was a really good match uh, between these two. I think it's probably... I think you may have tweeted this out. I don't remember if you tweeted this out or, or if you and I just kind of talked about this, but I think this was the best I've ever seen from Charlotte. This was the, my favorite Charlotte match this ever. Was... And I'm not somebody... I, I'm usually pretty down on her. I, I, don't, I don't usually see as much as other people see in her. She was so good in this match. This is the best I've ever this seen This was her. the best Charlotte Flair performance ever, and this was the best Charlotte Flair match ever. This was the best match on the show this was um, maybe my second favorite match of the entire weekend behind Gargano Black uh, this was fucking awesome I can't express how awesome I thought this was I mean the level of viciousness shown by Flair I mean both in the match and in the post match stuff I mean where has this been I mean this was so much better than the stuff with Sasha Banks and some of that Sasha Banks stuff was good and this blew it the fuck away I mean this was better than any of her NXT matches uh, Flair, uh, Ronda Rousey was right there with her. Man, did I love this! This, this, this is might be my favorite main roster match of the year in this company. I mean, I, I fucking love this. Yeah. No, I thought it was spectacular as well. I think Rousey played her role perfectly as well. And like you said, there was a viciousness, and there was just this like, you know, everything looked kind of snug, and everything looked kind of real, and it just felt like a real fight between these two. And that, that, that doesn't get conveyed all that well you know in, in a lot of you know main roster women's matches because they're just kind of they're a little nervous about doing it or whatnot or they're just not that good at doing it and charlotte in particular is somebody that that kind of struggles at that but we're starting to see her kind of put it all together a little bit these last few matches that she had the, the, the match with becky last month uh and 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 now this one really feels like she's kind of kind of getting to his own and and rousey's kind of ushering in a new era of women in this company as well and there was obviously the era where they were finally having great matches or whatnot with the sasha and the baileys and and, and becky and charlotte and those sort of stuff but but now we're getting a whole new, like, they can have battles. They can have fights. They can have matches that feel and look, you know, vicious or whatnot. And it's cool. It's awesome. And, it, and yeah, like it said, it, it definitely was the best match on Survivor Series. Uh, probably my second favorite, like you said, of the entire weekend as well. I really thought it was spectacular. Um, and, yeah, really, really good stuff by them. Went about 14 minutes, but every part of it. Similar to, like, a Brock Lesnar match. We'll talk about him in a little bit. But any Rousey match, you kind of have your eyes on because you're not quite sure what's going to happen next. You're not quite sure what she's going to do or whatever. So that's that's always cool to see. So I thought she she did well, and I thought Charlotte, as you said, just did far and away uh, the best that she's ever done. Then, of course, you had the beatdown. Charlotte Flair uh, destroying Ronda Rousey after the match, uh, putting her in the, the chair and breaking her neck and doing all this sort of stuff. I don't know if you watched Raw, but Ronda Rousey came out, no neck brace, not selling a thing, smiling, and then had a 10-minute match with Mickey James. So, um, yeah, that kind of sucks, but... Yeah, it sucks because, uh, you know, it's like, I guess Vince McMahon is back on his do not sell injuries for more than 24 hours doctrine, which sucks because the post-match stuff... Yeah, especially Rousey, too. He doesn't want Rousey to ever look weak, even though in the moment she's, like, bloody and all that, but then the next day she comes out and she's smiling and dancing and doing all that. Yeah, and the the post-match was so awesome here that it really should have... She should be... You could have gotten weeks. 
You could have gotten weeks out of yes. this, months out of this. You know what I mean? Like she could have said, you know, maybe it doesn't. She maybe you don't take Ronda Rousey off TV for months on end or whatever. But this could be a thing where she's just not right for three months or whatever, building to whatever their next match is going to be at a Mania or at a Royal Rumble or whatever. Where Rousey's selling the neck and and not quite sure, and like you know she's a little bloody or she's got bandages or whatever. You could have done all that, but they did nothing. She just came out. It was like nothing. It was over. It's and you know Charlotte's on a roll. The Becky match with the which you didn't love, but I love that match too. And now this match. But the thing about the Becky match is I thought Becky was clearly the dominant force in that match. You couldn't take your eyes off of Becky in the Becky-Charlotte match. Not that Charlotte was bad in that match. This match, Charlotte was the dominant force against Rousey. I mean, she just blew me away with how great she was here. I'd be honest. I didn't think she would be capable of a performance like this. And she opened my eyes. And I'm real interested in Charlotte moving forward here to see where we go from here and where we capitalize, which is dangerous in this company to do that. But I think maybe the arrival of Ronda Rousey and Becky Lynch just fucking exploding and doing this no-nonsense fucking heel, well, now it's a babyface character that she's doing, has ignited a flame under some of these other uh, women on the roster. You see it in Charlotte Flair. You see Nia Jax trying to lean into the, the face breaker thing. Um, I I feel like like you like you kind of alluded to this is kind of like this combustible time right now where the style yeah. of match is changing too, and I think a lot of that is due to Rousey and 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 what Becky Lynch has done and 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 Charlotte is someone who now Nia Jax is fucking stinks and is terrible and I don't think she's capable of performing on the level of these other people, so that's one thing. But at least there's a fire lit under her and. On a show where we have more time, we can dig into whether it's kind of like, do you have a like a moral issue with pushing Nia Jax because she fucking hurt somebody legit? But that's a <laughs> right. discussion for yeah, another that, that's day. That's definitely for another just time. Yeah, sometime that's not two days before Thanksgiving yeah. or whatnot. But I think this thing is going to be going on for a little while. So but we'll that's an interesting discussion to have, and I think there's valid sides to both of those arguments. But there is sure. something going on with the women's side of the roster, which is real interesting, you know, and. And and it's interesting to see who will get left behind. I mean, can somebody like Bailey, who it, it seems the company is interested in pushing anyway, can she hang when it comes to grittier, um, more realistic, uh, you know, uh, storytelling within the matches like we're seeing now? Is Sasha Banks? I mean, you know that she'll want to get involved in this sort of thing, but can her body hold up to these style of matches? This is a real interesting time right now among the women's roster. I think, and and one thing you can bring up as well, and we talked about it a little bit last week, is it feels like for the first time maybe ever in this entire company's history, and not even maybe ever, the first time ever, that the women feel as important or in some cases more important than the men in this company. The, the, The biggest star in this entire company, to me, is Ronda Rousey. I think she absolutely is. You can say Brock is, you can say, but Brock's in and out, you know what I mean? He's there sometimes, then he's not. And then the rest of the men's roster, I think is just a giant collection of guys and dudes and jags, like you said. Like, you got your Seth Rollins and your Dean Ambrose's. Roman Reigns is out of the picture. You have, you know, a Daniel Bryan, which we've talked about, is, is squarely just kind of cog in the wheel type thing. The rest of the men's roster just feels like dudes. They just feel like a bunch of guys having matches, doing stuff in this kind of endless, you know, wheel of, of, of whatever. Whereas the women feel important for the first time Rousey feels like this big time mainstream star that's kind of taken over this entire unit. As you said, Becky sort of emerges as this superstar out of nowhere. Charlotte now sort of gets reinvigorated and, and, and whatnot. And I think the women feel that too. I think the women realize 
shit, we can main event at WrestleMania. Like, shit, we can be the biggest stars of this entire company because the men's roster is just kind of a clusterfuck right yeah, now. And they, the way the booking's going, everything's going. I mean, the booking of the women has been better. Yes. Way better and, than the and, women. And they can do it, and coming off Evolution 2, which was a great show, but but they're doing it now in a real way, not a force-fed, we're just saying that right, they're right, a big right. deal way. And there's a difference, and it's a palpable difference that I think everybody can feel. And you know who is tailor-made for this style is Shayna Baszler. And I cannot fucking wait. Now, a week ago, I'm saying I don't want him to call up. If this is what the match is going to be like, I can't wait for her to get called up. If it's going to oh, be like yeah, this. she's going to fucking kill it. And we talked about months ago we wanted to keep That's her right. protected on NXT because she would get she would get lost with like the Sonya Deville's or whatnot. No, she's going to fucking grab this bull by the horns and kick ass there. Yeah, if this is the women in, in this company right now, I'm all in. And they have the talent. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, Kyrie Sane can come up and I think she can muck it up and do these sort of matches as well. You know, Shirai can do this sort of stuff. Like, there's a lot of women on this that, that they've signed that can really go and really work. And yeah, if this is a time where, where the women are going to be the stars of the show or really kind of feel different, then I'm I'm, call, I'm all down with it. I mean, Jesus, it's never happened before. And I think the biggest factor of that, though, is that Ronda Rousey is... And would you disagree with that if I said she's far and away the biggest star in this company? No, we right say now? it every week. She right now is the biggest star in yeah. the company. You know, I, I you know, excluding whatever Brock is, I, he's hard to. But he's so, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, I don't know what he is. It's, it's like too hard. He, exactly. He, That's what I mean. You have to exclude him. He feels him like he's not in the company. Like, he comes. He's like a freelancer that shows up sometimes. But, like, day in and day out, like, marketable star. Per, like, I think Rousey is it. I mean, yeah, Lesnar might be if you can kind of define what the hell he he's is. It's too hard to that. assess. But yeah, no, Rousey. Yeah, Rousey is absolutely the biggest star, and it's, it's it's reinvigorated everything. And like you said, it's now got this sort of oh shit, we got to kind of work for our spot here. You know what I mean? Like a, a, a Bailey might have to say, "Fuck, I gotta I gotta step my game up here a little bit. I'm getting passed up by 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 this person and that person." And, and Sasha might have to kind of look at that as well. So no, it's gonna be really fascinating to see how the next few weeks go and, and the next few months go because you know we, we the talk is that they can man at WrestleMania, and you know what? It's never been more plausible than it is right now. And like you said, the most important part of it is it wouldn't feel like a sort of a ah uh, here you guys go oh here's a main event or like where everybody gets in the ring and they would still yeah. do that bullshit where stephanie announces it and everybody hugs each other but it for the first time feels like oh they might need to main event with these women because the women are the biggest goddamn stars in this right. show and the hottest acts so it would else. it would mm-hmm. right so it might feel they might make it very sort of lame and, and and contrived or whatever but i think deep down people that follow the company would know that no they deserve to be the main right. event they deserve to be the main event of Royal Rumble or whatever. You know, whereas the Royal Rumble, the women's main event, Royal, you know, the women's Royal Rumble is the main event of this year's Royal Rumble, but it felt kind of like, hey, look, the women are in the main event. Yay. Yeah, I, yeah, like, that wasn't, know. yeah. And, and remember the, the first pay-per-view they main evented, and I remember we broke it down, and I remember saying... It was the Hell in a Cell. It was it was Charlotte and Sasha. They main evented a Hell in a Cell. Wasn't there another one that was the first? Like, wasn't there another one that was the first match? Uh, I thought it was that Well, match, well, well I, I listen, to make this sure. speaks into my point, because I remember breaking it down. <laughs> we don't remember. No, no, because I remember when we, when we, when we we reviewed it and broke it down I said to you everyone's making a big deal out of this but it really wasn't the main event and in six months or a year we're not going to remember what show it was and we're not even going to remember what the match was and I don't remember either I don't remember the show and I don't remember the match ah see I do remember it was Charlotte and Sasha Banks Hell in a Cell it was uh, Hell in a Cell 2016 yeah October 30th, 2016, so about two years ago but yeah you don't wasn't there wasn't there a bigger wasn't there a men's match on that show that was really the main event uh, there was Owens and Rollins for a Hell in a Cell. I mean, there really wasn't much. There was Roman Reigns and Rusev. That was in a Hell in a Cell match as well. It not really. I guess the Owens and Seth was kind of a big deal at that point. Three Cell matches on that show. 
Of course they did. It was Hell. It's October, Joe. Yeah, you gotta <laughs> have them, subtle yeah. feuds. And Hell Who could forget yeah. those super hot feuds? Too. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember Roman Reigns defeating Rusev for the United States Championship at Hell in a Cell 2016? So anyway, Do you remember that? Uh, yeah. So yeah. these, this, yeah, it's it, it feels leg- more legitimate now, and it, it doesn't feel like they're just forcing history. It just feels like it's it's happening. And yeah, it's happening. The, yeah, the yeah. women are the hottest part of this roster right now, without question. I'll get to a main event now that I really enjoyed Brock Lesnar uh, defeating Daniel Bryan. Uh, 18 minutes uh, for this match, longer than most Brock Lesnar matches, which I always kind of find funny. You can tell when Brock respects a guy or really thinks a guy's a great wrestler or really just enjoys working with the guy or likes the guy or whatever because he gives them, you know, a match. You know what I mean? Like, if he's in there with a guy that he probably just doesn't give a shit about or he's just in there to catch a check, Brock's in and out in five minutes. He's in and out in two minutes, throwing some Germans, staying Suplex City, and then bouncing out and cashing his check. He went 18 minutes toe-to-toe with Daniel Bryan, let Daniel Bryan give him so much, was selling his ass off for Daniel Bryan, because that's what I love about Brock sometimes. People hate it, but I like the idea that he kind of wears his emotions on his sleeve. You know what I mean? Like, if he wants to really have a great match with somebody, he'll go and do that. And, like, I get why some people that gets annoyed or whatnot, but then it makes these matches a lot more special. Daniel Brian looks like an important figure after this match because Brock gave him so much and Brock let him get in the in the mix and and let him sort of work him over and feel like there was times where he could win and get him in visual pinfalls and and get him in submissions and all that sort of stuff and I think that's important to do that because now that so when Brock does a five minute match it makes these eighteen minute ones feel a little bit more important but all in all I really like this match. Uh, Less so than Ronda Rousey and Charlotte Flair, but probably my second or third favorite match on the entire show. Where'd you uh, Where'd you rank uh, Lesnar and, uh, and and Brian? No, yeah, it was a great match. Um, my second favorite match on the show. I put it ahead of the cruiserweight match. Um, brilliantly constructed and brilliantly worked by Daniel Bryan. I had my reservations about him working as a heel, but if he's going to work like this, this is going to be a great run because this was not the chicken shit yes, yes, yes heel that we saw in 2014 or whatever year that was. People know what I'm talking about. This was not the chicken shit that mm-hmm. worked Big Show and Mark Henry and Sheamus. And this was a different kind of heel Daniel Bryan. And it was fucking awesome. And, um, you know, and, and yeah, just the, 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 it was weird because you had really two heels, but it, it's like he, Bryan was working as a heel, but was but worked it in the style once the stalling ended as like, you know, a baby face getting hope spots. Right. And yeah, he started the match as that chicken shit. Like you were saying, he was getting out of the ring and trying to stall or whatnot. Then Brock catches him and tosses him around a little bit. And then from that point on, Daniel kind of played baby face in a way, but it was, it, there was also a little bit of tinges of heel in his work as oh, well. Right, so it was right, a weird yes. kind of tween match. It, it, it's doing Shades of Grey actually how you're supposed to do it a little bit, where they just go out and wrestle and you kind of figure it out from the match. Itself. But he was just... And it should be noted, the stalling early on, it was strategical stalling. It was like he was trying to get in Brock's head. It wasn't the way he would have done it in 2014. It, there was some... It, there were differences here. He's almost, you know what? He's he's closer to like a Pac style heel now than than whatever he was in 2014. Because the word bastard is coming to mind. Is the only way I could describe the way he wrestled the match. Yeah, he's working smart. He's working how a guy of his size in the match with Brock Lesnar should work. You're not going to go in there and muck it up with him right away. You're going to try to you know fuck around a little bit, play your you know play your cards right. This is you know honestly. 
it's Ring of Honor Daniel Bryan. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Brian Danielson was that way. We talked about him a few weeks ago. Heel champion Daniel Bryan would use some nefarious means here and there, but he was really good at stalling and really good at sort of annoying people by working smart. If he was in the ring with a guy that he thought he could have a real chance of beating him, he would, you know, be methodical about it. He'd be a little bit different. He would be, you can call it chicken shit, but he would, you know, pick his spots right. And then when the time was right, then he'd go in there and show that he could wrestle you and out-wrestle you and beat you in the ring or whatnot. And that's exactly what he did in this match. He, he stalled, he stalled, he stalled. Then he got caught, and then he realized he had an opening and then kind of went and took it from then on. And, and, and credit to Brock as well for sort of selling it and making it work as well. He came off just like a cunning bastard is how he came off. And yeah. Brock was great smart. in this match. He came out like a smart worker. With- yeah, and, and Brock was great in this match. And um, look, I like Brock. I, I still stand behind that. Almost everyone has turned on Brock. I refuse. I, I think... When Brock has those three and five minute matches that everybody hates, he's just doing what he's told. I, I, it's just and and I don't even hate those matches as much as other people do. Like the Braun Strowman match at Crown Jewel, I didn't hate that. I didn't think that was insulting or it was fine. I mean, it was it was Brock destruction, and I don't mind it. I kind of like it to be honest because I like that he's different, and I like that he just dominates people and 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 yeah, in a match like this, he performed. He was incredible in this match. He was right there with Brian, and Brian was. This was the by far the best Daniel Bryan performance since the return. I mean, it's not even close. So this match gave me hope that this Daniel Bryan heel title run will be something much, much different than we feared last week. So yeah, excellent stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all in on heel Daniel Bryan if this is what we're going to get all the time. We'll see. I mean, I don't know that he's going to be able to do this with every single guy, but if they kind of let him, I, I don't know. I, we'll, we'll see what ends up happening with this. But they, if they kind of you know let him be this heel and, and let him do this sort of stuff, I'm all in on it. I'm, I think it'll be incredible if they let him do that. But we'll, And we'll again, see. Something, we'll, you know, that remains to be and seen. something we can expand on on another show is this new idea that the best way to get over as a face in this company is to turn heel. <laughs> because they don't know how to they don't know how to get a baby face over no. and they don't know how to create a they baby don't. face hero and 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 the best way to get over as a baby face is to turn heel and this company is so bad at making baby faces that they're just leaning into that now and and well let's turn them heel to get them over as a face because half the roster is heel Joe who are the faces on the show right now yeah, well I think it's like Naomi I think a lot of times too <laughs> like, these wrestlers see the success that people like Becky have had and 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 Brian and and I know there's others and and Dana Brian saw it. He said, "Turn me fucking heel." This yeah, sucks. he saw. You know it, I mean? It's like, a good we, point. We, he <laughs> saw the lay of the land and how things worked out. And I think people also see the struggles that Roman had getting over as a pure baby face, and and they want you know th- this is the new way to get over as a face is to fucking turn heel because this company is so bad at baby faces. It really is incredible. So that's Survivor Series. I actually liked it more when I was watching it. As we broke it down, I'm like, ah, I mean, there was a lot of bad in the last half, or the, the first it's half. It's an of the uneven show. show. The, uh, that's the word for it. It was, it was yeah. R- Rousey, Rousey, and 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 Charlotte. The, the the cruiserweight match and the main event were really really good. Everything else you could pretty much skip and leave. Yep. If you just watched those three matches, you'd give it a definite thumbs up. And we said having three good matches, considering what we had the rest of this year in WWE pay per views, is a is, is two thumbs up for sure. Because yeah. we've had some utter shit throughout the last you know year or whatnot. But yeah, it still doesn't. Uh, not an all-in-all all great show. Not not to the TakeOver level. So I think TakeOver still uh, topped Survivor Series this week. Oh, if but, uh, War... If, if, Survivor if, if, a pretty good show. And so, yeah, if I think War Games was even good, not even great, then TakeOver blew this show away. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I, th- I think... Yeah, we'll see. I think you'll think it's good. I just don't think you'll think it's great. So we'll, we'll see when it eventually... 
uh, comes up. But, Joe, as we said, this will be an abbreviated version because we got a lot of shit to do over the next few days. So, uh, I think that's it, Joe. Anything else you want to say before we get no, out of here? That's it. I take that as a no. All right. So, Joe, you have a very I, good I said no, that's it. Oh, I didn't hear it. It broke up. So I was just like, geez, cold shoulder. <laughs> In my ear, I heard nothing. So that's Enjoy fine. your anyway, holidays, sir. Uh, thank you guys so much. Yeah, enjoy. So, uh, yeah, of course. Jeez, now I got uh, Have a great off. Thanksgiving holiday. What? I, I said that with some enthusiasm. You're just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Enjoy yours, too. That's kind of like... Uh... <laughs> okay, see, I, on my end, I think you're breaking up a lot. In the recording, it'll be fine. I'm not hearing a word you're saying. So I'm just going to sign this out because I can't hear what you're saying at all. But, yes, have a very good Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, enjoy the uh, festivities, and we will be back next week on the Voice Wrestling Flagship Podcast. Take care. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.